far worse things. Waiting man. Then death. You will be scared shitless. Good evening, boy. Hey. Evening. This movie, right? I live in the weak and wounded. What a line. What an amazing line. It is such a, it, it's, it's, it really encompasses this entire film. Mm-hmm. This is one of those deep horror movies. Ooh. It is a deep horror movie, and I don't even really wow. like elevated horror, but apparently I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, Session 9, man. Jeez Louise. Um, Imogen, I didn't understand this movie the first time I watched it years and years ago. Um, you know, I, I needed every all my horror on the nose. I, you know, did not appreciate elevated horror. I had not much. I had, yeah, I had not much use for like David Lynch or, you know, the kind of Tetsuo, the Iron Man, just the weird shit out there that, you know, it, it's artistic. It's the art house horror. It's, you know, but this didn't quite fit that. I, you know, it had stuff in it that sticks with you even if you don't quite get what the hell's going on and i always appreciated that because you know even if it's just the fuck you you know the most famous david caruso moment um you know which became a meme um because as i said in one of the previous episodes you know i keep bumping into just various horror fans um and you know cinephiles in general who cite this movie as one of their favorites or their favorite and and i watched it twice before in preparation what it is for me is a tapestry of disturbing shit and if it clicks with you on a personal level, then I want to hear about it because it didn't quite click with me in that way. Apart from I saw it as like mental illness and bipolar disorder, because when you walk into, you know, a piece of modern art, say, or a poem, you bring your own baggage. And so those are the things that I thought of, especially during the actual sessions, right? The the nine sessions that the movie's named after. Um, you know, you have the multiple personalities and I was just, okay, this is some scary shit, man. This is some deep psychological crap and it's bleeding over into the lives of just these normal guys that are just trying to do a freaking job. So, well, there's this idea that it's the, the genius loci or Loki. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it, but yeah, sure. Why not? Um, that that is a protector of the Danvers hospital. And there are two ways of looking at this movie as far as, um, as far as like why these things happened. Right. And, or why Gordon became what he became. And one of them is that he was really in a very weakened state. You know, he has been, he was sleep deprived. He was affection deprived also um he you know and wasn't eating properly because if you saw he had a jar of peanut butter with him all the time and people who just eat peanut butter out of a jar that's some crazy shit yeah, like the, that's, that's basic protein like just yeah protein. that's all you're doing you're 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 surviving basically yeah, yeah. um and so when we meet gordon yeah i mean he's in 100 percent survival mode right he's gonna lose his business he has a, a daughter you know emma has a ear infection and she's had an ear infection since the christening so she's kept him up you know um when he goes to 
hug or kiss or try to be affectionate with his wife, Wendy, she kind of rebuffs him, you know, I mean, bitch is cooking, but whatever. She like rebuffs him and is just like, yeah, you know, like, no, later. Um, So he's already hungry, angry, lonely, tired. He's all of those things, right? And so there are two ways of looking at it. One is that anyone who allows themselves to get into a state of hungry, angry, lonely, tired uh, to an extreme, mind you, uh, is capable of anything. Mm -hmm. And then the other way of looking at it is that because he was in a weakened state, he became possessed by the, you know, Simon, basically. Um, but I feel like my idea of this film has changed significantly over the years. Uh, you know, whereas I used to think it was that he was possessed <laughs> by this spirit. I don't think that anymore. I, I think that he got driven to a point of sleep depravity will uh, sleep, dep- sleep deprivation in general will yeah fuck with everybody in a big way yeah i mean really really a big way especially yeah when you allow yourself like you just said when you allow yourself to get into that state you are in a dangerous place um and you need to rely on god and your friends and love and light and sweetness and there was none of that in that place and that's what makes it scary is not only are you super vulnerable but now you're surrounded by just a bad, bad place. So if you can't allow yourself to get the help you need to get out of the hungry, tired, you know, needy state that you're in, at least make sure that you're in a place, you know, surrounding yourself with, you know, people who can help you and who care about you and who can, you know, be blunt with you and kind. Um, And he found himself in one of the worst places you can be, which is a nasty ass building filled with scary shit and it's dark and it's creepy and they got a job to do and it's just adding stress to his life. This movie scared the fuck out of me. And not because, you know, there were ghosts and, you know, or there was supernatural horror. I don't look at the supernatural side of it. I don't read it that way. I, I don't believe there was a ghost or a, you know, demon or anything like that. I think this was just straight up somebody at their breaking point in the wrong fucking place. Um, and it's a warning, you know, to all of us, like, like I was just saying, you know, if you are in that place, get the fuck out, you know, of any situation that's going to require you to be able to handle stress and to be able to be around other people and cooperate with other people, et cetera. So, well, you, you got, uh, your brain does this thing when you're awake for too long. It does this thing where it, I guess they're called micro naps. Yes. And it's like, <clears throat> your brain shuts you the fuck off and then it's on autopilot kind of um it's just it kind of takes you out of the equation for a few minutes and it's like all right shut down shut down mode so when you wake up you don't even realize what just happened it's like uh, you know drunks would maybe look at it like a blackout like a mini blackout mm-hmm. i think i don't know but i consider this horror movie a warshack test kind of like everybody who sees it gets something different out of it Mm -hmm. it's just um it's scary it's scary um to take the demon out of it and then just kind of have a human reasoning for this and that and um that's even more scarier than i think having a demon in it 
Um, because like Sim said, it's a bad place and you're in the worst place, I guess, to be physically, like the location. Um, Cause it's just, that shit plays with your mind. Like um, the guy in the movie who's terrified of the dark, that scene is really scary to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not yeah. scared of the dark, but it's just, that's a, that's a terrifying scene. Cause I always put myself in that guy's position where it's like, if I had a fear of the dark and the generator got cut Ugh. and I'm in this underground subterranean hallway like if you've ever been underground, it's dark underground. Like in a mine, you can't. There's nothing. You can't see anything. So for him, that's that's scary shit. You know, just I don't know. I don't watch this movie with the lights off. Just put it no, I did not. I, I I definitely was under a blanket, and Christopher re- refused to watch it again because he was just like, I made him watch it when we were first dating, and he was like, "Fuck this. This is never happening again. I'm not watching this movie. It's too scary for me." So, um, uh, so I watched it by myself <laughs> under, under a blanket, just like Black kind of, whole nine, yeah. yeah I absolutely. mean, is there any better way to watch a terrifying movie though, than by yourself in the dark? I mean, come on. I mean, that's the thing is like, I, the first time I saw this movie, I, I saw it because I had, it was introduced to me on the 50 greatest horror films you've never seen. And mm. I, had very little interest in it because it's an all male cast um, for the most part, but it, there's something about the way they says were talking. Our, says our Smurfette. <laughs> there was just something, there was something about like just the, the way that people were talking about it. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So I remember I rented it on some streaming service and as soon as I finished it, I was in such shock that I grabbed my notebook and I immediately restarted it. Cause I was like, I need to fuck, like, we need to get down with this. Like I need to like, like I need to go over all of these things. Right. Because when you see it and you get the ending watching it a second time, knowing what you know that you cannot unknow, mm-hmm. it's like, bro, this you know, is like I mean, the definition of one of those movies where it gets better. I think the more times you see it, absolutely. I would, I would absolutely agree it with plays you. With your brain, man, it really does. Like it, it, and it, it really, it really is. It. There's a lot of wonderful performances in this movie. I mean, you've got Peter Mullen as Gordon. You know, he's just he's, he, he's actually he's actually not a classically trained guy. Like he's not like a theatrically trained person. He's self-taught. Um, then you've got Caruso, you know, avoiding taking off his sunglasses to the throes wow. of a who song. Oh, yeah. Who? Right. Exactly. So he, which funny, it, this movie asbestos. led to him getting cast in CSI. <laughs> so he hadn't become, you know, the David, the David Cruz, right, right, right. Yeah, he wasn't Horatio. He wasn't exactly. So you had him, and then you had Brandon Sexton as um the the, the kid, right? You know, and anyone who's ever seen Brandon Sexton in any other movie, he always plays fucktards. Mm-hmm. Like, welcome to the dollhouse. He's a fucktard. <laughs> Boys don't cry. He's a fucktard and a rapist. Um, he he doesn't ever Empire Records, one of my favorite movies fucked hard so in this he actually is a lot of he's a lot more understated in it and uh i've seen interviews with him and he is the most eloquently spoken you know kind highly intelligent 
not dick. <laughs> so I'm gonna give that guy a trophy. Yeah, I mean he's very good. He is he's a very, very good actor in general. Um, and he's quite young too. He's a lot, he's fuckloads younger than all the three of us. Um, so uh so so you have you know you have him then you have josh lucas as i call him the you know thinking woman's matthew mcconaughey and uh he's he's great he's got like the crazy like porn stash going on you know mm-hmm. and he's basically a piece of garbage you know <laughs> he's got a wee bit of a gambling addiction um and then you've got mike you know steven jevedon who wrote the fucking script and you know he's fantastic in in his role uh, i mean he doesn't do any work like let's be honest mike is probably the worst asbestos worker in this fucking movie all he does is lock himself down let's... in the basement and listen to tapes yeah, yeah. <laughs> how's it going up there fellas all right and then like tell stories like that's what he does yeah so um i like you know what though even though i yeah i'd probably if i'm doing a job i'd you know want to have somebody around that's going to be able to help us get the damn thing done but it's also often nice to have somebody around who's just like keep you entertained while you're working you know like to tell you some strange shit or some cool shit or some funny shit um yeah he's been on like oz law and order and you know all of these actors have been in tons of tv stuff uh they have miles long imdb pages um and then a couple of them yeah like caruso went on to do some pretty cool shit so a great cast um the director oh my gosh so i i did not know this he did the machinist yes did you see that yes Uh, and i'm not the biggest christian bale fan to be honest Uh, fucking movie but yeah i mean and he put himself through like hell to play that role like he was skin and bones cans of tuna and apples I'm a method actor. Method actor. Oh God. Yeah. Oh my God. The Christian, <laughs> the Christian Bale freak out is the best thing ever. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> You're taking a bloody piss. Like, oh boy. <laughs> like he's just. But he's Batman. No, he's not. He's got. No, he's not. <laughs> Michael Keaton is Batman. Amen, Let's not get it sister. twisted. Boys, yeah, so all day, every day. Yeah, so day, every day. Um, did, did you guys see the new Flash movie with him in it? Yeah. Uh, it was so bad. It was so horrible. But you know, it was cool to see him as Batman. I threw again. my soda at the screen. Don't get oh me. wow! Batman's not going to sell. It, it quite, quite the, the visceral movie. reaction from Slinky. Yeah, <laughs> I've been a Batman fan since I was like eight years old. Well, actually, other than that, that was my that was part of my. That was, Adam West and Betsy Palmer used to take shifts, like just. Oh. <laughs> oh, Adam West is man. Uh, yeah. Rest in peace, buddy. Seriously. What a great guy. He just can't get rid of a bomb. He's just fantastic. So great. So the the other thing is that, you know, Gordon is desperate. He's a well, desperate he the job. character. He underbids the job. He's yeah. like, we can do it in one week, yeah, not no. two <laughs> and not three. One week, four guys. I got this. He's very, you know, adamant about it because. Um, as it is explained later on, you know, if if he didn't get this job, he was going to have to fold the company. That was the whole you know, thing. And I think when people are in positions of desperation, coupled with a lack of self-care, which essentially is what this is, a lack of self-care coupled with that, coupled with an environment that is basically 
feeding the darker parts of you it's like that's a fucking that's a it is it's a just gonna explode it's a really really bad bad recipe for disaster um asylums are bad juju anyway asylums are bad juju seriously now it's a condo complex for crisis you know what this movie gives me hellraiser vibes man and you know i'm big into damnation stories um, and so, no, there's no like cosmic horror or anything like that. It's just the feeling, the same kind of feeling that I get when I watch Hellraiser. I get when I watch this movie, uh, which I have now seen three times. Um, oh. It's, you know, I always go back to that crappy Robin Williams movie, which, you know, some people love it. I loved it when I first saw it. Uh, what Dreams May Come, where he says, hell is your life gone wrong. Um is there a better definition of hell? I don't think so. Hell is your fucking life gone wrong. And it's not wrong. And most of the time when, you know, we realize we're in hell, we realize that we put ourselves there. You know, it's the Alanis Morris said, it's the good advice that you just didn't take. You know, you had right. 10 friends, 10 friends telling you to get some fucking sleep. You had everybody and their uncle you had god almighty you know his hand you know lowering from the heavens saying uh don't put that thing there you know better than that and of course you put it there because fuck everybody and fuck existence and you know fuck everything well guess what you just opened up the door and walked right into hell and shut the door behind yourself that's what this movie makes me feel like just like hellraiser you know hellraiser 2 really more than the first one i Mm. have to see i have to know (laughs) right Right. I mean, <clears throat> you have a you have a lot of kind of downtrodden characters in a lot of ways, too, you know, because in addition, you know, you have Mike who is, uh, you know, wanted to be a lawyer. He's smart enough to be a lawyer, but he's doing this for whatever reason. He's also a font of disturbing information. You know, <laughs> like he's just a he is a geyser of just really crazy shit story like the guy you don't bring with you to the cabin in the woods like because he would read the latin out of the book like <laughs> yeah yeah that's totally that's Why that's absolutely that guy man right why he's that's that guy totally yeah, yeah. um i i would imagine mike listens to a lot of true crime podcasts this- a lot of true- like that's i can see that being his thing yeah so that's too funny um <laughs> And uh, I, I think that, you know, there's goodness in all of these characters. There's a lot of empathy for Gordon and his situation. Um, and there's a, there's a scene where, you know, when he kind of goes on his killing spree where he's running and his eyes are wide open, like, like a sleepwalker. Like like a person who's wide away, you know, like they're micro napping basically, um, and he's just, you know, <laughs> just he'll just come to like in the middle. It's uh huh. Yeah, it's the 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 performance the performances in this are just really 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 great. Pupils, mm-hmm. things like that. Because I'm like, is it dilated or is right? It... So he's taking it all in. Okay, okay. It's just. Everybody has the potential to fall down this crevasse. Absolutely. And like, so when I got Murphy, Murphy was eight weeks old and eight week old puppies don't sleep through the night. Uh, And when you are uh, 
mental when you deal with mental illness like sleep is very very important um and it is absolutely like there are times when you can be on the right meds but if you're not sleeping that that will actually pull the rug out from the the you know um the meds actually working for you so and i've learned that over the years but i learned it the hard way and when i got murphy murphy only slept for like two hours at a time and so every two to three hours i was up you know grabbing him taking him downstairs you know and i did this for a good week before i just had a total breakdown like i remember sitting on the condo steps crying and i called my other bipolar friend who raises dogs and i said i need to go to the hospital i can't do this this was a mistake and she's like it's gonna get better it's gonna get better you're gonna get some sleep it's gonna be okay and I think that there was no character in this movie to tell Gordon that this shit is temporary. <laughs> like, it's okay. If the company folds, it's okay. You know, you can start over. Like, the baby will eventually get well. <laughs> you know, your wife will eventually fuck you. <laughs> like, everything is temporary. It will pass. And I, but I think that once you get into that really dark state and you're surrounded by people who aren't necessarily telling that they're, they're desperate too, right? Like David Caruso's character is desperate as well. Like, he's just like, fuck it. I'm in charge now, you know, screw, you know, he's like, screw Gordon. Gordon's crazy. Did you know Gordon hit his wife? Like he's fucking woo off the reservation at this point. So you, you know, all of these characters are basically not you know, taking Gordon under their wing and saying, right, bro, it's our, it, it's okay. Like it's, it's just money. Well, it's and there's a reason that. for that though. And you brought up two of the main points that I wanted to touch on tonight about this movie. One is that he's the leader. He's supposed to be in charge. It's his company. It's his responsibility. Yeah, he's the guy everybody's supposed to kind of look up to. And look right. Up. The, so the, yeah, the I Zen mean, master of calm. Yes. Yeah. Um, And when the leader guy is in the bad, the worst situation, uh, that it's going to affect everybody else. You know, it's going to trickle shit trickles downhill. Right. As they say. Mm -hmm. And the other point I I wanted to touch on was deliver us from our self-centered anxieties. You guys have that Episcopal background. You remember the little, you know, speaking together stuff that you used to do. Deliver us from our self-centered anxieties. Um, if you are the center of your own universe and your problems have become the center of your universe and you're in charge, they have now become the center of everybody's universe. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a selfish in a way. It's like, yeah, man, you've got shit going on. You know, everybody's got shit going on. Obviously, everybody you're surrounded with has got these major problems, but you're supposed to be in charge. You're responsible for these people. Stop thinking about your shit for a minute. Start looking some other people in the eye and thinking about them, you know, and I mean, that's what damned him was his lack of empathy for his friends and for his, you know, responsibility for his company. That's why they say don't be a dick, man, because you don't yeah. know what everybody else is dealing with. Peace uh, be with you and also with you. Yeah. And right. also with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. So. <laughs> I'm sorry you got pup apnea, so but you know what? All's well that ends well. Um, you know, and you can tell that story now and you came out. Oh no, I mean I, I wouldn't change a goddamn thing. I, I I love Murphy very much. And it was a very short while before Murphy started sleeping for seven hours. But I knew based on my own experiences in life 
that everything is temporary and that if I just did what I needed to do, everything was going to work it out. And it did, you know, tomorrow. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's your bottom dollar, man. (laughs) Oh, you guys, I fucking hate Annie so much. (laughs) I I swear to God, I with a white. Come on, Tim Curry. No, no, no. With the white hot intensity of a thousand suns, I fucking hate there Annie. There we go. There it is. <laughs> Who hates Annie? Come on. She's a cute little redhead girl. Oh, She's an oh. orphan. Oh, She's my God. Orphan. M- me and my mother. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite movies. Oh. My heart is broken. Oh. Wait. Okay, I got to hear your explanation. How the fuck can you hate Annie? It's like the most charming movie of 1982 or whatever. Like, Oh, sweet fuck? Lord. No, it's not. No, no, it's really not. It's it's about a fucking annoying little <laughs> kid and she just won't stop singing. And... Okay, let's. Okay, Grant. Okay, so it's saccharine. I get I that. But come on. Set her on fire. Oh, God. But Carol Burnett? Carol Burnett? Yeah, okay. Here's the thing. Performance wise, Obviously, the performances are good. I respect the art. I get that. But fuck no. I would rather take my ears out and set them on fire than have to sit through Annie or or tomorrow. Or although Hard Knock Life is pretty great because Jay-Z. But Jay-Z, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Tell us how you realize that. Right. Uh, you know what? My favorite character in that movie is Punjab. Um, because uh, he used to do those seven up commercials, seven up caffeine, yeah. ne- never had never, never ne- will, never will. Oh, <laughs> and then they God. made him a fucking liar because like five years later they came out with seven up gold and they had caffeine. And I was like, oh no, Punjab is crying somewhere. That's so strange. Is it? That's not still around, is it? No, no, they retconned it. They shit canned it a long time ago, but okay. it was out for a year or two. There's no um, caffeine. No, no more Seven Up Gold. Oh, wait, yeah. I mean, they try every now and then. I think every few years they try. Oh, let's see if we put caffeine in it if people buy it. But Sierra no, Mist Extreme. Yeah, just cherry Seven Up all day. Mm-hmm. But Punjab. <laughs> Fuck Andy, give me a Shirley Temple. All right. So. Punjab is not only my favorite Annie character, it's also one of my favorite words to say because I just picture like this East Indian porn star named Punjab. And yeah, that that charts. Yeah. It hasn't been done yet, but <laughs> Donald why not? Farmer, I'm Donald Farmer, I'm talking to you, man. Oh my god. Punjab. Um, so did you guys know anything about the cinematography as far as the there's a it's a female cinematographer, it's a female DP. Her name is Uda. Brezewitz, and she is German. Shocker. Um, she also did uh, Stranger Things and Westworld. So okay. the original Westworld, or the no, movie? the fucking TV series. Okay, okay. So this thing kind of launched a bunch of really, you know, successful shit. You know, the genesis of you know it, all of our favorite movies, right? Do that. I think um, maybe not Spookies. I don't know. Did anybody from Spookies go uh, on to do just amazing shit? Of special effects. Okay, that, uh, <laughs> so there you go. Spookies as a uh, director. Yes, yeah, that that's our obligatory Spookies reference for the evening. By the yeah. way, so <laughs> Boom. just like you read about, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's criminal how this movie flew under the radar. I'll say that because I didn't see it until I think oh four oh five. Yeah, Slinky, you said you saw it on IFC, correct? IFC, yeah, back when they were cool. Now they're oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, they're not polar bears' toenails, if you will. They're not cool like 
Well, so the cinematography, right, was interesting because they shot it on the high definition digital video, which was yeah. not really a thing until 2000, like the year before. You know, well, they filmed it probably during 2000. If it came out in 2001, there were probably a lot of segments filmed in 2000. So it was cutting edge technology. Um, but for whatever reason, just the distributors didn't get on board with it and, you know, give it the coverage it deserved. So, yeah, they they didn't really know how to market it. Um, it was a, a company called USA Films, and they basically kind of uh, reluctantly agreed to be that company with them and to have a deal with them. And then they refused to you know, to do anything with it. And it was, un it's unfortunate, but it's also the reason why they are not able to make a prequel to it because USA's subset, um, I can't think of the name of the company, but they own the rights and the rights say, unless they give permission, which they refuse to and have refused to for 20 years, they cannot make a prequel they cannot make a sequel to it. Even though they made the movie, it doesn't matter. It's not the way that it works with the distribution rights. We all know this. Right. But then my question is, what the fuck are you waiting for then? What are you holding out for? I don't like, think they're holding that? out for anything. I think they literally, I think that certain companies, especially production companies like that and just distributors rather, they don't know dick about art and they, you know, are like, oh, that nobody, nobody wants this. Who wants this? Who gives a shit? I didn't even know we had this. That was what they told them. They said, I didn't even know we made this movie. <laughs> um, and you want to make a prequel. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I mean, there are companies out there that are run by just total, you know, douchebags and stuff like this happens. It's one of the reasons why I'm sure a good portion of a lot of the movies that we grew up with uh, oh. don't have Blu-ray releases, don't have DVD releases, yeah. they're VHS only. Is know? it time for the obligatory Rockula reference? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened with Rockula. You know, it's like, you're sitting on a freaking goldmine, people. This is the uh, fucking Rocky Horror Picture Show of the 80s. Who owns the damn rights? I found out today, by the way, who owns the rights. It's getting done. We are doing Rockula the fucking musical. It's going to get done. I'm not doing it. I'm just suggesting it and hooking people up to do it's it. Like I'm not doing it. But, you know. but the <laughs> uh, the yeah. writers, the producer, the director have contacted me and said they found out who has the rights. They're going forward with it. So we'll Pretty. see what happens. Um, but it's that attitude. It's These are industry people, and their industry is to make and sell movies not to watch movies and enjoy movies right you know that's that's their customers and yeah if it's like the a and r man you know in the music industry i don't hear a single you know that's your job is to decide yes. whether or not there's a single there and yeah uh listen though so spookies man <laughs> start talking to some people dude <laughs> there is unlimited potential for nostalgia now i mean if somebody wanted to do a fucking session nine prequel and they wanted it badly enough they would track down every motherfucker that was involved in it start lobbying people rallying people get a hold of who the fuck ever owns it uh you know stand outside the doorway with signs and shit and do whatever they had to do if you love something enough get it fucking you can get it fucking done so mm -hmm. yeah uh 28 days later 28 weeks later that fell the that's suffered the same fate because i guess it's bound up in a bunch of bs and uh, where are we at mm -hmm. months now 28 months later is that <laughs> yes, we're like 20 we're gonna be 28 years later here, right so. 28 years later because that was oh three so yeah where's where's cillian murphy <laughs> <laughs> uh he's in gotham city yeah that's what he's doing right now so uh 
I think the Danvers mental institution is a character in itself. Yes. I agree. Yeah. Ma- Massachusetts is a character in itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why not? Water yeah, for dogs, sure. Man. Yeah. Drink of water. Um, I don't say it right, but <clears throat> That place <laughs> like like you're from New York. <laughs> he said it yeah. like you're from New York. <laughs> well, South Jersey, close enough. Um, but like that place is freaky, man. And I don't I don't care if I was an asbestos worker or not, I wouldn't go there. Um I just bad there's just a lot of bad juju. Bad juju. The production, yeah. even even when they shot this, yeah. there were actors who said yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who said specifically they were like it was just rough. Yeah. Like there was a genuine feeling of unease Mm -hmm. just being in the presence of this place that was built in 1894, I believe. At time in the 1800s, when we were still kind of experimenting, (laughs) if you will, like, uh, you know. Okay, I was close, 1878, actually. It was built in 1874. And uh, it opened in 1878. And yeah, it was it was open during a time period where the mentally ill, as well as people who suffered from addiction, were tossed into these facilities. And and, you know, uh, electroshock therapy, um, lobotomies, like obviously this is a very big plot point in this film. What they considered ailments were Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's a woman over here trying to vote. Oh, I'm concerned. I'm deeply concerned, doctor. Yeah, yeah. No. So let's just give her the old lobotomy and uh, we'll turn her into a drooly. Lobotomy. Right. Lobotomy. Mortified pride. So that's what happened with like mortified. I looked it up. But mortified pride is actually um, is uh, is a form of narcissism. It's it's actual definition is death by embarrassment. Um, and then uh, the building actually closed in 1989 and the patients were all moved across the street to a different building. But the entire campus was closed June 24th of 1992 and then later on became Danvers condominium complex. <laughs> what? I, do- <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, man, boy, I know. Man. Fuck your historic monument. Yeah, I don't. I mean, just back to the tech history for just a quick second. I mean, one of the biggest draws of this movie for people who love it is the atmosphere, of course. And they were using digital video. And with digital video, you don't need a whole bunch of, you know, spotlights all over the place. You can film in dimly lit areas and it's authentic dim lit areas. It's authentic darkness. It's authentic shadows. Yeah, no, no, no. It's what it looks like when you walk into that fucking place. Yeah. No. It's oh man. That that's the thing I got from the movie is it there's this overwhelming kind of sense of dread when you watch those scenes. Yes. There's no music. There's nope. nothing. And even, even the silence. Even when they're just doing the tour. Yes, yes. When they're just doing the tour and they happen upon the art therapy that's on the walls, which was very big in the seventies. And they, you know, they're like, huh, that's, that's, that's fucking weird. Right. And even the production people said specifically that they didn't have to do a whole lot of set dressing with this movie to turn my ass right the fuck around. (laughs) Too bad. We can't stay baby. (laughs) Exactly. Too bad we can't stay baby. (laughs) 
if you have twenty four hundred dollars, you too can live in an apartment at Danvers Apartments. Right. It's, those aren't ice picks. Those are lobotomy. By the river. There's no way. <laughs> Not happening. So Teddy much died money. Of government cheese. Yeah. No. Not at all. So, yeah. yeah. Not at all. But this, the the building itself is to me terrifying. Just because you, I don't have to know the history of the place, but just get, it's an asylum enough that's it right there so right. i want to know the biggest question i have because i love props and yeah because i can't fucking afford them so they're like these dreamlike things for me right um i love props and i want to know who the fuck owns that mystery wheelchair did you read about that oh that wheelchair. yes nobody on the prop crew nobody ordered that fucking thing nobody asked oh, for it and they show up and there it fucking is. And it's like Mary uh, Hobbs owns that wheelchair. That's right. <laughs> Simon owns that wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Too true. Uh, it's in David Caruso's basement. <laughs> he sits in it and listens to the Who. <laughs> Fuck the Who. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, he takes his sunglasses off, puts it back. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> A lot. I wear my sunglasses at night. Except in I think in Jade, he doesn't do that. I think in Jade, he just like yeah. fucks Linda Fiorentino. That's what he does. Like a redheaded blur in that movie. So creepy. <laughs> I mean, but speaking of sunglasses, I mean, how fucking creepy was it to realize that this motherfucker had been lobotomized and when you catch oh, up with his ass. It made after me you get, so yeah, sad. After I... you get the lore about the fucking sunglasses, you know, the joke that they make about, well, then the only cure for that is a pair of sunglasses. sunglasses. Yeah, it's he, like he's got on the sunglasses because yeah. he's just like sitting. He's like staring out that window and you know, and, and he's like, oh, he's like, Hank, we've been looking for you. You're in trouble. Right. And he's just like, what are you doing here? And he just keeps repeating it and repeating it. And it's just like dog. And then fucking David Crusoe finds him down in the down in the, you know, the steam tunnels, just naked or at least in his underwear. Um, thank you for that. Uh, and and just and just, you know, repeating things over and over again because he's fucking fried he's done you know i mean lobotomies let's just take a moment let's have a moment of silence for the lobotomy as a horror element um mm. what was that from hell from hell yes, had some nice thinking, lobotomies thinking that. She um, of course one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh. i mean lobotomies man that is some freaky shit not just lobotomies right it's anything that you're is tinkering with your fucking brain because that's who we are if that's gone we're gone yeah and i mean when i went to the you know macadamia farm nut house um more than i mean i don't know there's like two times in my lifetime that i was you know committed um when i was much much younger in my 20s when i went the first time they um you know, they, they were giving people electroshock therapy. They were giving people ECT. Right. And, uh, I asked people, cause I was like, well, what is it? What's it like? And what happens and whatever. And, you know, they're like, oh, you, it just erases your memory. Uh, and, and, and that is and who knows what else? to me. I was like, give me the meds, 
whatever, like whatever you're yeah. going to, I mean, I was in my twenties and I wasn't even diagnosed as bipolar yeah, yet. What but... the hell are we, but our memories, like, you know, I remember what happened five seconds ago and five years ago and, you know, five decades ago. It's that's us. We are our memories from you and we found a way to do it. Yay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's creepy. And to watch those people go through that process and what they looked like when they came out of it. You know, I remember just being like, oh, it's not going to be me. You know, I'm going back to doing drugs. And then I did that so, for like another 10 years. And then Hulk Hogan, you're aware of the thing that happened with Hulk Hogan's son and his friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you seen the video of his friend still alive ish? No, uh, no. <laughs> heard. Uh, um, you know, I'm sure listen, it's horrible. Guys, it's worse than horrible. I mean, you don't want to see it. It's that bad. And we're horror fans. Okay. You do not want to see it. You won't forget it. It'll scar you for life. It will traumatize you. Yeah, I'm good. Um, it's a fate worse than death to be lobotomized, to have half of your brain just gone and you're still fucking alive. So there's still a little tiny piece of what used to be you in there somewhere. Probably. Limbo, man. Just on a, it's, like, it's like the um, Metallica video. Yeah. It's it's like I one. Remember it's, anything? It's it's, yeah. it's the Johnny got his gun. It's it's that thing, you know, of of being trapped in your own everything, and you're just like, you know, kill me over and over and over again. You know, like you're you're basically trying to send Morse code to try to have someone kill. I've said it. I I've actually said this. If I become incapacitated to the point that I cannot talk, I cannot eat, I cannot fuck. Yeah. done done and yeah, i'm okay with that so yeah there's that so i, Hello I was a, over the face i'm a well i'm a wellbutrin survivor and 15 years of wellbutrin so i've been on the on board the bipolar express this whole time wellbutrin is horrible for bipolar people because it is an antidepressant that makes you manic and if you're bipolar your manic is double manic double manic monday i yep. just and That's- I read up on Wellbutrin because to me, it became a God pill. It's like, at the end of the day, um, I was frightened of it because I realized that people are, I don't see myself the way other people see me. Okay. I cannot look at myself and perceive myself through other people's eyes. Mm-hmm. And over time, I started listening to other people and looking at myself when I wasn't manic and looking at my manic state, like so videos of myself when I was manic, uh, recordings of myself when I was manic. And I'm like, I'm not a good person. I'm not a nice person. I need to not be on this drug. <laughs> um, it's a very scary thing. And the scariest thing that I found out about it was that if you overdose on it, it can cause you to die physically. Uh, your heart will stop and you'll have a heart attack and you'll fucking die. Okay. But your brain won't die. So they'll take you to the hospital. And this happened. You can look it up. A woman had a heart attack from an overdose of Wellbutrin. She died. She was hooked up to the machine and they were just about to pull the plug and they had pronounced her and she woke up. So she had been brain dead for as long as it took the drug to get out of her system. So I thought that is some scary ass shit. I don't, you know what? I'm done with fucking Wellbutrin. You know, it it <clears throat> helped me fix a lot of things, but at the same time, I, I, I'm not on that list. I'm on the do resuscitate list, or I was while I was on that drug because I read about that and I was like, baby, if I'm on the machine, do not pull that fucking plug. At least until the fucking Wellbutrin is out of my system. Uh, it scared the shit out of me. So yeah, I, it's inside of the coffin. 
Like that's terrifying. Ah. The idea, the idea of not being yourself or not being in control of yourself yeah. is more frightening to me than death. Yeah, I will agree with you on that. I will absolutely agree with you on that. I think, and my experience with Wellbutrin is ex- almost exactly the same, which is that it was billed as this like magic drug, right? And all my friends and I were like super excited to take it because it was an antidepressant, but not only was it an antidepressant, it was an antidepressant that was going to make you not eat. And all you wanted to do is have sex. And it was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever tried in my entire life, right? I'll take six of them. Right. I mean, you're, you're just like, this is great. But the problem with it is that any kind of medicine like that that has a stimulant effect is going to cause anxiety. It is going to cause, you know, heart problems, heart palpitations, things like that. And then you add things like a shitty lifestyle, like all the caffeine I was drinking and whatever. And it was, it was just a, your peanut butter. Yeah, apparently. Um, And it was just, and it was like, it was, that was it. It was like, I walked into the doctor's office sobbing because I thought, that my life was going to end because that's how it, that's what Wellbutrin did. Like I would wake up every morning and just think like, I'm going to die, you know? And so I went into the office and she said, this is a really great drug for depression. This is not a very good drug for bipolar. So we're going to take you off of it. And that was it, you know? Um, but, uh, but dude, uh, no, I, I mean, but all all so, all the girls, we were all all had our little purple pills, man. We were like, yeah. I'm not even hungry. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Um, one final thing on Wellbutrin on the God pill is that people talk about why do people kill themselves? Why would why the hell would somebody commit suicide? And if you're bipolar, you get the mania side of it and the severely depressed side of it. Was I more likely to kill myself when I was manic? Or when I was depressed, um, you'd think it would be when you're depressed, right? That makes sense. You're sad. You know, you you feel like you're worthless. You know, you're just in the state of not wanting to do anything at all. Um, and so, yeah, you may think about suicide, but I was at, at my most suicidal when I was at my most manic because I had this heightened awareness, this heightened heightened alertness. I could look at my life more clearly and see how I had hurt people, how I had let them down, how I had not accomplished my goals and my dreams. And in those moments, that's when I had to make sure that I surrounded myself with people who loved me because I would begin to have thoughts like, um, these people are better off without me. Yeah. Uh, these people have to put up with a lot of shit from me. And yeah, that's when I was most likely to probably go go through with it. If they're better off without me, all right, I love you too much to continue to subject you to the person that I am. Um, so, yeah, if you're on that shit and you're having similar thoughts and feelings, first off, make sure that you're surrounded with people who love you. Always contact people who love you. Don't withdraw, because if you withdraw, you're fucked. And get help and get the fuck off of that shit man it's not the god pill it's the fucking satan pill okay and that's my personal opinion um i'm not a psychologist i'm not you know diagnosing anybody or making any official medical recommendation but that's my personal experience with it the best thing about mental health now versus mental health when this movie was made for instance or mental health when mary hobbs was a patient is that we have so many options now we have so many different options 
for mental wellness. There is so much more, uh, there are so many more resources today. Uh, there's less of a stigma than back then. Um, I mean, you know, if you want to, if you want to throw toxic masculinity into it, um, I mean, Gordon probably couldn't go to anyone for help. He probably couldn't, there was probably nobody up here. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if he's leading all of these, you know, men, um, there's probably no one he could go and talk to and say, manly man usually doesn't have a, someone that they can like right cry on their shoulder or right you know, and then there's the whole pride thing that comes into play and uh you know yep yeah. so <laughs> that's a thing Mary so what was the scariest it is time for the scared shit list you will be scared shitless um yeah, so the scared shit list, in case you're joining us for the first time, is the time on the show when we talk about the shit that scared us the most or that we thought was the scariest. And for me, it's the doorway into his home. Um, it's not necessarily the pot. I don't care. Okay, so did he boil his own baby? Did he dump the water on the baby? I don't even care about any of that. It's the fact that this is his home. He's in the state that he's in, and he's about to walk in that fucking door. There's nothing scarier than that to me. I I would say I will I will see you and raise you. Uh, him going back to the house where the dead bodies are basically inside the house and just staring at the house, you know, knowing that he has committed this crime and that he is business as usual uh, as much as he can be, and just staring at the house. That would be that would be on my scared shit list. And then the other thing is any fucking scene with Simon, any 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 audio of simon i swear to god the the dark thing doesn't really bother me i don't have nictophobia but well you but, know now that i have to get a simon filter but the, or whole, whatever. But, but the whole i live in the weak and the wounded dog yeah, mary let me nice. they always let me um peter was being very bad you know i mean just thought that whole fucking thing in fact in fact you can go on youtube and you can actually just listen to the Simon tapes. <laughs> that over is a thing. <laughs> and over and over. That's yeah. I uh, yeah. Because all the phone calls from Black Christmas are on there too. <laughs> like, uh huh. Listen to just the phone calls. Oh my god. The moaner. The um, moaner. Right. Uh, you know, it's the uncanny valley. It's that not quite human, but kind of human uncanny fucking valley man it's the vocal version of looking at michael myers face you know it's or the blurred out faces in the ring you know that shit it's just you know it's unsettling it's i don't know i've it's a combo of things it's just the fact that you know when simon leaves a person he's just dormant in that building just waiting right but that line i live in the weak and wounded that's fucking scary man because there's a lot of people who are uh, a little broken Exactly. Exactly. And whether you're weak and wounded physically or weak and wounded mentally or psychologically. The tapes for me, because a lot of shit happens. It's it's just uh, the movie itself. The DVD is terrifying. Like when I put it in the player, I'm like, oh, shit. This movie is every horror movie. This movie, you know, takes place in The Shining with an alcoholic who is at his lowest point in his career. Yep. That's hell. That's hell. Okay. That's what this movie is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
this movie is the Babadook, which I'm not a big fan of, but I know what they were trying to do. I know what they were trying to say. This is the trauma you went through and you just can't stop thinking about it. And you're not looking for help. You're focusing on it or you're just you're having behaviors because of it or whatever. It's the worst shit that happens to you that brings you to your lowest point. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like we said before, if if that's you, um, you know, you're living the horror movie. You know, this is one of the reasons why I love horror movies and why I want to be scared is because it's familiar to me. It's home to me. I've been through some shit. I think a lot of horror fans are very comfortable watching horror movies because, yes, this is a story about me. Um, this is somebody who's been through some massive shit or has to deal with massive shit, scary shit every day. You know, there's tons of horror movies where there's grief at the, the, you know, the central center of the plot. Um, you know, my favorite horror movie, it's a psychologist who is grieving her father and then she's grieving her best friend and then she's grieving her career. Grief is hell it's your life gone wrong my i just lost my best friend and horror helps me deal with that trauma and with that grief and with that sorrow and with the mania and, and all the rest of it um because it gives me an alternate reality mm. no I, I got sick of giving eulogies at my friend's funerals so yeah absolutely horror movies definitely saved my life uh, more ways than one mm. but i still say this is a warshack test when people watch it yeah it's pretty effing scary um, it's not a comfort horror watch. No, this isn't like a go-to horror. No, there's no, ha- there's no happy not. ending. This no is a. Ending. This is probably a once a year at most. This is kind of up there with like Firewalk with me for me. It's like it's like yeah, I need to watch that more than once a year. No. Really, this is a good one to put your friends through to like kind of trip them out or something. But that's where the fun stops, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's not. There, there really are no moments of levity in the script either. So there really isn't a whole, there there really aren't any like calming, you know, like, oh, it's it's okay, right? I mean, it's like, no, it's not okay. <laughs> well, David Caruso's middle finger, that's that's all there is. Or is it that's his it. thumb? I don't, you know, whatever it was that he does, <laughs> fuck you. Um, and the reason it's so fucking memorable is because it's the opposite of everything else that's going on in the film. Oh, for a split second, you get to see some levity in real life. And then, OK, boom, back to hell. Well, it's almost uh, that uncomfortable chuckle. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. Right. <laughs> then the, the goes off the rails again. So it's like, yeah, no. like seriously, the crazy train. Yes. When that dude shows up in his Trans Am, it's like, <laughs> you know, that poor bastard. I felt so bad for McManus. Especially because you they mentioned McManus so many times in this movie, and you're like, man, this guy's fucking, this guy's got to be awesome, right? Like, if he shows up, it's like, what's up, guys? Dead. <laughs> so as a provider, as a mental health provider and someone who suffers from mental health issues, there was a scene, a couple, it's in a couple of scenes, but there's one, like, kind of slightly extended scene where the first thing I thought of was the privacy of the patient's. Um, that's a big deal. If you're in human services, um, you must always have HIPAA agreements and informed consent. And I found out that all of those pictures that are on that wall, when they go in there and they're looking at the pictures of the patients, those were real. A lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them were real patients. They were real people who lived in that fucking place. 
Hmm. That's yeah, interesting. That's, that's yeah, yeah well, it's scary too. It's like shit. They're kind of still haunting that place in a way, you know. Even though it's been torn down, this movie is going to go on for a long ass time, and they've been immortalized in a scary ass movie in a scary ass place, uh, having the worst moment of their fucking lives, you know. So when when I talk about the terror, man, that's that's what I'm looking for. Um, this movie hit on all cylinders for me. We got the gross out. Right, Stephen King's hierarchy of horror. I fucking love it. The gross out with the lobotomy. Um, you've got the horror of, you know, being chased or not necessarily being chased, but like just shit that gets in your face. Not a lot of jump scares, um, but there, you know, there's some screaming. There's some like hor- horrific stuff. But the terror of this film is next level shit. Um, it's why I felt like I was watching a Hellraiser movie or some kind of cosmic horror thing, even though there's no real supernatural elements per se in this um it's terrifying man terror is the purest form of fear man it really is um this one like there's no boogeyman there's no you know guy in a hockey mask chasing you uh the great cthulhu isn't there it's just it sticks it's you it's you that's what i mean right uh, mm, long after you watch it long after you watch it it's like Uh, lives in the week of the wounded yeah, it was, that's such a great line, but it's a terrifying line. And uh, when I finished it, I was like, why did I agree to watch this movie? Uh, like, because well, and I mean, the 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 writer, Stephen Jevedon, basically said, he said two things. He said, I want people to finish watching this movie and say, I need to take a shower. Why yeah. did they do this to us? Exactly. I I wrote a story once describing my early childhood and some trauma that I went through, and I posted it on a poetry forum. This was back in 2002. And I had a seasoned poet, um, not quite a laureate yet, uh, but a poet who knows poetry and the craft and knows what the fuck they're doing and critiques poetry, read it. And they said, this is porn. This is pornographic. You cannot post this. And there wasn't anything pornographic in it. There was no sexual stuff. There was no... Um, but it was so real because all I did was say what happened because I have this weird, vivid, long-term memory. It was so real that he called it pornographic and said that this is not for others to read. Um, and I think he was right in a way. If, you, if you're if you trying to express yourself in a poetic way or tell a story you know, for people to read and enjoy, no, you maybe don't want to talk about the worst moment of your life in, in graphic detail. But I mean, I got to express myself, right? I so mean, Brett Easton Ellis made an entire career out of that. Yeah, I mean, so, so. fuck the critical poet 2002, you know. That's I mean, right. take take your trauma and make the shit work for you. Um, but another person that is very polarizing is Russell Brand. Um, Russell Brand is bipolar, <sighs> like me, and he is not medicated. Russ. Um, It is so rare to find somebody who is wealthy and doing very well for himself um, publicly. But I just kind of wonder what it's like at home. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we get to see the energetic guy who has a million things to say about, you know, everything under the fucking sun and theories on it all and can talk, you know, rings around you. But would you want to hang out with him? Right. Yep. Hate to be around when the laughter stops. Yeah, see, there you go. Plus, everything looks perfect from far away. So there's that. Um, so the bloom is off the rose. You know, I, I no longer look to people who I think sound smart or who know a lot of things about a lot of shit um, as heroes. I look at them like just anybody else and they are doing their thing and I'm doing mine. Yeah. I mean, 
I think for me, <clears throat> I, I applaud celebrities who are bipolar who come out and say, like, I am struggling with this. Uh, one of like Carrie Fisher was a, a, a prime example of that because she was mm. able to kind of talk about mania in a way that made it relatable and, and that made it kind of go, oh, yeah, I can kind of understand why people would be addicted to that. Right. Like I would be I can understand why people don't ever want to not be you know, um, and just talking about that and talking about her experiences. And then, uh, you know, uh, Richard Dreyfus is also manic depressive. You know, um, lots of people have kind of come out and said, like, what works for them? But what works for people doesn't necessarily work for everybody. I, I do not. I literally do not do not like subscribe to the idea that one size fits all in any way, whether that's a relationship a fitness plan, a food plan, uh, whatever, dude, like I, I, I don't believe in that. So for me as a bipolar person, like my lifestyle has changed significantly over the years. I've added things, I've gotten rid of other things, you know, I've learned what works for me, but I'm in no way going to fucking like preach to people and tell them what to do for their own mental illness or their own uh, mental health, because I don't know. I don't know you, you know, I mean, like I can't, I, I don't, uh, I'm not able to do that. And there's always more to that story, you know, and there's different levels of bipolar. That's the thing a lot of people don't understand is that there's bipolar one, there's bipolar two, there's cyclothemia, there's, um, unipolar, bipolar, bipolar depression and bipolar a pill de- for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's all of these different things, right? So, and I'm not, like I didn't even fucking go to college. So. And here's the fun thing about doctors: they don't know what they're doing either. It's all trial and error. Talk to any doctor; it's it trial is. and fucking error. It absolutely is. I will tell you that that all of the meds that I have ever been on in my entire lifetime, save for like the last five years, um, were my father. My, my father used me as a guinea pig in the family. Here, try this birth control. Here, try this antidepressant. Here, try this thing. This thing just came into the office. Try this. Um, I did that for decades, right? And not knowing what the fuck I was taking, what the, you know, nothing because the drug reps come in, they schmooze the doctor, the doctor schmoozes the patient, the patient takes their medicine thinking that it's okay. Yeah. One thing you'll hear from friends of the bipolar and hopefully, you know, well, that's part of the problem is that nobody asked this guy while this shit was going on. Cause I just thought of bipolar uh, when I saw this guy, like this is me at my worst unmedicated without sleep, um, not taking care of myself, having responsibilities and thinking about nothing, but the fact that I'm, you know, doing whatever I wanted to. To me, mental illness is the scariest thing in the world because I suffer from it and I have a family. And it's why Ghost is on my list of scariest, one of the scariest movies of all time, because there's a ghost on that train who I very much relate to. And he's damned for eternity to live in mental illness. There's no hope for him. Hmm. Um, You remember that guy, Vincent Chiavelli. Uh, He plays the subway ghost, you know, and that's what happened in this movie. It's somebody who's dealing with mental illness from my perspective, you know, he was dealing with all kinds of shit. Right. But um, when you're down and out and you're dealing also with mental illness, the worst possible thing that could happen to you is to be stuck in that state forever. 
Um, the worst possible, actually, that's not the worst possible thing. The worst possible thing is to be stuck in that state forever and to have to look at what you did to everybody else over and over and over for the rest of eternity. Um, I, I think I've told you guys this, but my favorite episode of Tales from the Dark Side, the whole reason that the theme song from Tales from the Dark Side plays at the beginning of this show is because there was an episode of Tales from the Dark Side called The Choice of Dreams that captured the idea of hell better than anything I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of fucking movies. I've read a lot of shit. Um, it was just a row of brains and jars having to consciously relive what they did to other people over and over and over. Mm. Yeah, I think that a lot of the reason I know that a lot of the reason that I will put this on me, a lot of the reason that I contemplated suicide over the years was 100 percent because of the damage that I caused because of my mental illness, because of it not being treated, because of it not being taken care of. There, the other thing, and I, I, I've actually talked to Slinky about this, is that when you have a manic episode, like a full-on manic episode, it depletes parts of your brain. Mm-hmm. It is very similar in the chemical makeup of an epileptic seizure. Yeah. So you forget the shit that you said. You forget the shit that you did until people come back and they tell you, and. That or you can play be, back a recording of yourself. Right. Or that, which hell, thank God that has never happened to me. <laughs> but, but I, cause I just don't have, Hey, it. you want to see something really scary? No, no Sims. I do not. So, but that's the thing is it's, it's like when that comes back, you know, one year I wasn't even invited to Thanksgiving, you know, I mean, that's a thing that happened. So because of my behavior and it was, you know, off to the races, you know, it's like, I don't want to take this med or I don't want to take that, or I don't want to sleep or I don't want to eat, or I don't want to, you know, I just want to like live off this caffeine. And the, the way that the way that a manic episode works is that you feel really, really good and you're really hyper-focused and you have all of the energy in the whole wide world. And then that shit turns very quickly into anxiety and hatred and agitation and not wanting to be around people. It's, I mean, I actually, I did an illustration of like what a list looks like when you're manic and then what a list looks like when you're coming off of the mania, because you look at that list and you're just like scratch. I mean, you're just like, no, no, I don't want to do any of this shit. No. And then you then comes the spiral and you're going down, 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 depression, 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 crash. And then all those great ideas you had, all those creative juices fucking gone. And you can barely get off the couch and all you want to do is eat and sleep. And I wouldn't wish that on a worst enemy. I don't even have any enemies these days, but like, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> like, I really don't. I'm so I, I just I would don't enca- care. Yeah, I would <laughs> capsulize that. I would encapsulate that in what just happened between me and Aaron Dodds. So I suffer from bipolar disorder, severe bipolar disorder. My father has it. My father murdered somebody and fled to the Philippines. Okay. I have some scary shit that I have to deal with in my life and I always have to keep it under control. So I'm obsessed with horror, man, because horror is all about mental illness. And so when I say to you or I ask you, do you want to see something really scary? Why do you think she said no? Thanks, Sims. Um, What's really scary, man? What's actually scary? Scary is you at your worst. 
She doesn't want to see me at my worst. Are you kidding me? That's fucking scary. She knows it's scary because she has, you know, some similarities to me in her brain chemistry. Um, So what's scary is you at your worst to someone else is 10 times scarier to yourself when you eventually see yourself at your worst. Amen, brother. Yep, there it is. It's absolutely true. It's it's just it's it's absolutely true. The the person the person that I was when I was diagnosed and had no idea what the fuck was going on and was a guinea pig in the medications and try this and try this and this will make you this and now you have to take this to go to sleep and now you have to take this to wake up and you know like is vastly different than the person I am today. But that being said, I know that I am several shitty decisions away from going right back to where I was. So here's another problem with bipolar disorder. If you don't mind me cutting in because I'm bipolar, you know, don't Mm -hmm. ever use your bipolar rampancy as an excuse to cut somebody. If I apologize, go on. (laughs) No, but that's so funny too. Like like, like only a bipolar person would understand. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to say, it's not just, uh, you know, having a list of cool shit in that moment that you're super manic. Um, because occasionally, if you write a hundred things down that you want to accomplish, you'll get two of them done. Two of them done, absolutely, and you'll get two of them done, fucking amazingly. Like, and that's you- the problem with addiction and with substance use and with writing the high is that you might actually make a hundred million dollars, and in your romantic state, if somebody you love says to you, you know what, I believe that you have the capability of making $100 million from your idea and of teaming with people who can help you make a shit ton of money. What's going to happen when you get all that fucking money? What are you going to have lost? Does that money really matter that much to you? Right. Fuck me, man. I mean, that's some sobering shit. Want to see something really scary? Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah. the answer to that is no. Yes, always, always no. Always If you no. have seen Twilight Zone, the fucking movie, you better know <laughs> the that the answer, actual right answer to that is no is every time. No, every single time. That movie scared the fuck out of me for that scene alone. <laughs> but I mean, that movie. That's the intro. So oh, my God. We do have to do that movie sometime because Absolutely. it's so fun. Oh, I'd love to do that movie. Iconic and scary. And so what's your. OK, I mean, we could do it real quick. I mean, it's our show. Uh, what's your favorite segment? In Twilight Zone, the movie. Oh, God. You know what? Probably the airplane, the fucking creepy uh, John Lithgow airplane situation. When I was a kid. There's a goblin on the wing. When I was a kid, that was my favorite. But as I got older and I'd seen it a hundred times, my favorite became uh, the Dante segment with the kid, the the wishing kid. You know, he could wish for whatever he wanted. Because, I mean, man, that's cool to be able to do whatever you want. And then to have a beautiful brunette, like, as your personal assistant. And it's like, fuck, this is a dream come true. (laughs) And and that's kind of how I turned out, by the way. I have a beautiful assistant and I can do whatever I want uh, within reason. Slinky, what's your favorite segment? Uh, mm, uh, (laughs) The intro is scary enough for me. Yeah, right. A good and the ending the and the ending too. poor Lithgow. He's just been through the worst moment of his life. And hey, uh, by the way, you want to see something really scary? <laughs> I I love I love watching old like old Twilight Zone episodes and old Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> There's a man presents. on the wing of this plane. I have them all. I, have them all. I love them. You do not. Um, yeah, man. Some of those like were very scary. 
Um, the the mannequins, I think, probably freaked me out the most. The monsters are due on Maple Street. There was one, I can't remember. It was probably in Outer Limits where a guy was living with his parrot or something, and he wished that he just basically was making stupid wishes in his head. You know how they used to do the dialogue in the head thing in the 50s? It was kind of <laughs> in for a while, which was nice throwback at the beginning of the 60s with Psycho, right? Um, I'm going to have a dialogue inside my head. Uh, the Haunting is another great one where she she's like, oh, my God, that's where the companion was. And then, oh, I get fucking freaked out every time I watch that. People forget William Shatner's in where their their car breaks down in that town and he's uh, putting quarters and nickels in this machine. The little devil head. Looks like yes. Oh, I remember that one. Yes. His actions and stuff. And mm-hmm. that's, pretty, that's pretty scary. That's um, scary. William yeah. Um, Chris Hardwick had a really great stand-up act, and one of the things he said is that every episode of Twilight Zone should just be called "Nice Try, Asshole." <laughs> <laughs> That's Rod Serling in a nutshell. Then there's that. Oh, no, Rod Serling, Jesus man, chain smoker, chain smoking, yeah, exactly, exactly. suit, <laughs> just a bad motherfucker, like yeah, slick Rod back Serling, hair. He didn't give a shit. It's the Twilight. Zone. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> he could have talked about anything. You know, you're just the coolest motherfucker on the planet. Jordan uh, Night Gallery, Jesus yeah. wept. Oh, Night Gallery. Yeah. The caterpillar will forever be crawling around in my brain. Thank you very much, Rod Serling, for making that happen. Eye of the Beholder. There's so many good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howling Man's another one. It's like you can capture the devil, but you can't contain him for very long. Mm. Ooh, good stuff. Uh, Eye of the Beholder. That's the one with the chick. Uh, she's all bandaged up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is the last surgery. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah. They're uh-huh. all fugly. But she's like yeah. really pretty, you know. Vanity. Hey, honey, uh, room for one more. There's so many good Twilight <laughs> Really? Seriously? It, it's just genius. And Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Alfred I mean, Hitchcock I, Presents is the I bad. was so excited when I found out that The Man from the South was an Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um, the Man from the South is just, it's not even really that scary, to be honest. But for me, as a kid, reading it and watching it on Alfred Hitchcock, it's a guy who is into betting. He makes crazy bets, okay? And he bets this guy that he can't flick his lighter three times in a row. Did you see that one? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the, yep. So the price of losing, the price of losing is that he gets his pinky cut off. Pinky, that's right. That's All right, right. the end. The end. Okay, big deal. You, he got, a guy got his pinky cut off. We've been so desensitized, you know, since right. the fifties that yeah, that's not a big deal. I mean, and there was, was the one Alfred Hitchcock one that ended with the line. It's like he's cut out her tongue. Remember that one? Yes, he was the original crib keeper. Don't like just narrate the intro to a show. It's like ooh, fuck. <laughs> It's a creepy he's motherfucker. Himself, man. He's, he's a, a frightening. Ending story. Yeah. Um, uh, he was a real like monster too. Like yeah, not kinda, a good person, oh, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Problematic as fuck. Yes. Yes. Poor Tippy. Oh Lord. Uh, I have all those books when I was a kid too. That probably explains a lot. <laughs> you sick little monkey. <laughs> Well, because I grew up, I grew up reading all the Agatha Christie stuff because of my mom and my grandma. You know, was like a big was was barely big, so a lot of that stuff kind of seeped in at a very yeah. early age. You know, like the yeah, and then there were none. You know, yes, that's my favorite Agatha Christie book. Period. Uh, yeah, then there were none. Ten little Indians. Mm, good. Yeah, 
the the old stories from like the amazon when they were exploring the am like i would always look up the horror stories from like shark attacks and you know explorers and horrible things that happened to people when they were in places they shouldn't have been in real life um you know the i got eaten by piranhas because you know i didn't know that the amazon had a body of water that was full of fish were gonna fucking eat me um a guy had a fish swim up his penis oh yeah penis fish dude that's don't a thing urinate in the river, man. Don't yeah. Pee. Don't pee no, in the right. fucking river in the Amazon. Is it okay. Your pee stream, which is that's fucking terrifying. Um, I listened to one the other day. So Mr. Ballin, have you listened to him at all? It's yeah, the strange, dark and unusual. And there was one where uh, a guy survived for like days and days and days on a raft out in the middle of the ocean and finally got up the courage to swim back to shore. He just barely makes it. And it happens to be a cannibal island. <laughs> <laughs> that's fabulous this person and it was real this shit really happened like the scariest shit is all real man it's yeah. uh we probably yeah. should start doing like so what's actually scary you know in real life what's going on i don't know how we would spin that but like i would like to get like just a little piece of shit that's going on in the world that we've read about or heard about that's you know actually scary in reality because there's nothing scary than real life you know well i mean i'm in Flo- well slinky and i are both in florida and florida is a place where people People go when they are at the end of their ropes or the end of their lives. Come on, yeah. I I have yeah somebody who calls me once or twice a year from Florida who used to be a client of mine. That's a perfect description. Yeah. I don't know when I, when somebody says the word Florida, the first thing I think of is the Fisher King. Ah, there you go. Oh I've wow, I've got a hard I've got a hard arm for you the size of Florida. I'll never forget that line. Oh my Lo- lord. Yeah, you know I didn't need to see Robin Williams naked. I really didn't have that on my bingo card for my you know, life, but here we are. But yeah, I mean, the stuff that really, the, the stuff that sort of permeates my brain is, it is the fact that Florida is just wall to wall trash people. And, um, there's a lot of murders that happen and there's a lot of trauma that happens. And, you know, it's just, it's just got to nasty 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 past and present for the most part but um you know i mean we're where bundy got caught you know the gainesville murders gainesville ripper that's what they call the gainesville ripper right and um so yeah we're you know i think that's the kind of shit that really scares me i'm a very i don't watch home invasion movies so I won't watch, you know, I won't watch The Stranger. I won't watch the fucking uh, uh, Vacancy. Fuck that, you know. Um, so I don't I don't do home invasion stuff at all. And that is one of my biggest fears in the fact that I can't shoot a gun. So um, See, you know, I somebody... just don't like them. I don't like home invasion movies. I just don't think they're scary. Um, you know, if I want to see, you know, fear, scary stuff, you know, I'll, I'll just look in the newspaper when it comes to home invasion shit you know that doesn't uh, affect me in any way or, but i loved the strangers because or, the strangers you know they didn't rely just on the home invasion right, they used right. uncanny valley shit they used the lift tyler god bless her <laughs> just the scariest thing about that movie is the line why mm, you were home that's scary. That's terrifying. That's very terrifying. Um, I mean, I saw funny games with my ex-husband. We decided like on, on a lark, totally decided. We were like, let's watch funny games. It's yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah. We watched funny games and then literally could not eat Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. yeah. We were mortified. 
we were I don't like know, maybe Rutger Hauer ruined that for me. Like the Hitcher, um, oh, to me was like one of the scariest movies of the eighties. Um, and that's what I think of, you know, is like, you're not going to top Rutger Hauer when it comes to like a real person just fucking with you. Like, and then the, mind the Hitcher you. had a baby and called it Joyride. Yes. I have not seen Joyride. You've seen it. Have I? <laughs> well, it would be besides in real life, but I mean. <laughs> Where Ted Levine actually plays the voice of the, you know, mad trucker guy or whatever. But it's great. Steve Zahn's in it. I'll watch fucking. I watch Steve Zahn read the goddamn phone book. Steve Zahn, yeah, it's it's all that in a bag of chips. That's really good. Yeah, Kurt Russell <laughs> should do more horror movies. Go back to his thing he roots. A career out of impersonating John Wayne. Do you realize that? Yes, yes, he has. <laughs> I love it. I love it. In different stages of age, yeah. too. If you've noticed that he's he's evolved the uh, you know the the. The character as he's working, he's working on dying from 60 pounds of undigested beef or whatever it was that took out the Duke. Jesus Christ, is that a thing? Is that what killed the Duke? Well, if a ham sandwich could kill Mama Cass, I guess you know, 50 pounds of undigested beef could kill. Oh, you know what? I okay, I'm sorry. Uh, So, to clarify, Mama Cass did did not not die from choking on a ham sandwich, die of that. John Wayne did not die of 60 pounds of feces. Uh, it was a Hollywood myth, legend, whatever. Uh, I've heard it since I was a little kid. Same thing with Mama Cass. It's well, we just, all did. I mean, that's the thing is we all did until I watched the mamas and the papas behind the music. And then I was just like, oh, OK, that makes a lot more sense. You know, uh, Mama Cass to me had the best voice in the world in the 1970s for a white woman. Um, she was just fucking incredible. And it breaks my heart that she died young. And that song is fucking mind blowing, man. Yeah. Words of love. So my favorite song that she sings is "Words of Love." Um, it's a goofy song, but her vocal on it is just next level shit, man. M- like- mine is um Creek Alley. I love Creek Alley. I fuck my mom and I sing Creek Alley all the time. It's like Joan and Mitchy. We're getting kind of itchy just to leave the folk music behind. I love it. I fucking love it. It's a great song and it's autobiographical of the whole like mamas and the papas thing, like where they met and tells you the know. Story. You gotta when they pass the hat you know it's great no it's fucking great and of course obviously everybody loves california dreaming unless you're just an asshole <laughs> how can you hate california Dreaming? like we'll make the villain in our next movie right? it's like not liking southern cross by crosby stills and nash you know it's just like what's wrong song. with you i hate that so good like, get out of go away <laughs> oh that's okay the song hates you too motherfucker right clock them yeah. i don't i don't understand i, I mean there's some shit i feel like deserves to be hated on but that's not no, there I'm are on. plenty of the, uh, trust me there are plenty of as as pat oswald said which i love is that he said i don't really hate any bands there's bands i don't listen to there's bands i don't care for necessarily he's like but i'm not like i was in my 20s where it's like it's not the pixies it's fucking crap you know <laughs> He's like, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I, I can't used remember to the that. last time I said Aerosmith rules. I mean, like, r- rules, rules, what the old folks home, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is it's like, I, I like a very vast, you know, the array of music you know what rules good music rules just good know. music in general i don't care if it's classical i don't care if it's old school country like waylon jennings or hank williams regular you know um or, or even hank williams jr fucking i love all my ratty friends to settle down that is 100 my life so bocephus is a musical genius and, let there be no doubt about it he got the his third, daddy's genes you know so uh, i vanilla mean, ice. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I I do I can appreciate the art in in that I can appreciate the art in performance and I can appreciate the art in lyricism, you know, because there's a lot of people who fucking hate Rush because of Getty Lee's voice. Oh, but yeah. but don't start yeah, Slinky. He's a great bass player. But lyrically, from a lyrical standpoint, Neil Peart was a fucking genius and a I'm little bit limelight. of a prophet. I'm down with limelight, man. So I can get behind that song in a big way. <laughs> I, think <you're> like, <laughs> I think that's got to be the best written line in history for me, period, is if you choose not to decide, you still, you still have, made, have a choice. made a choice. Oh, boy. Wow, man. man. Far out. I know. I know. <laughs> It's like, I mean, it's not, you know, horse with no name, right. but whatever. It seems intrinsically why. Oh, my God, America. Forget about the, it. The heat was hot. <laughs> there were how, trees and rocks and birds and, and, and things. Like, <laughs> how things? stoned were you <laughs> to have to write horse with no name? I'll yeah. tell you how stoned how they were. My stoned. parents listened to that song all the fucking time, man. It was oh the perfect stoner song, dude. That's really funny. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I never know. did give nothing to the Tin Man. What the fuck? Oh yeah. What, oh, what like, is the what is the Tropic of Sir Galahad exactly? Explain that again. Lord, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of that stuff. Where is like what? <laughs> but but America will forever have a uh, place close to my heart for doing the soundtrack for the Last Unicorn. So. Ah, okay. See, I like Sister Golden Hair, and I like I like Ventura Highway because I I there's something about the chillness about it yeah. right it's like little it's river more band, like yeah it's more know? like cb it's more like the cbd than the thc like little yeah like little river <laughs> band is pretty much just like i'm just i'm literally gonna put this on and go in the pool you know and just 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 chill <laughs> just chill to it because i'm not like there's nothing there's nothing particularly lyrically interesting about it <laughs> i mean they call themselves america like you know so even from the very beginning it's like Okay, what are we going to call ourselves? I don't know, man. Where do we live? Well, they we actually can't call ourselves Indiana. Actually, they called themselves America because they were all uh, boys who met in England. They were um, they were what? stationed. Get out they, of here. Their parents were uh, military, I believe, and they were stationed there. And so all these kids met at this school and they longed to go home. So they named the band America. So there you have it, folks. Uh, the official original Team America OG. I never knew that, but it makes perfect sense to me because that's what you would call yourself in that situation if you were, you know, a Navy brat or whatever made you end up there. Um, when I was in Naples, Italy, we had like the American kids, you know. So yeah, that's awesome. Never right. knew that you are a walking encyclopedia. I kind of am. Yeah, it's kind of a thing. We should probably wrap up as it is 1030. My good night, boys. Take care. Peace. <laughs>